the domestic season may be over, but we still have the Champions League and Europa League to come, and Bet365 are offering a wide range of markets, including first, last or anytime goal scorers. With over 45 million members, it's the world's favourite online betting company. With the Bet365 Bet Builder, you can combine match results, players to score, number of goals and more to create your own personalised bet. And if you can't watch the games live with Bet365's Match Live feature, you can follow every moment through live graphics and and text Bet365. It's the world's favourite online sport betting company. The app can be downloaded from Google Play and Apple App Store. Over 18s only. Please gamble responsibly. Jordan, you're a great professional. Well, tell me you're going to get absolutely rotten tonight, like me. <laughs> Possibly. Oh, Come on, Jordan, go for it, lad. Enjoy yourself. Cheers, hey! guys. It's the Red Agenda podcast, and thanks once again for listening in. I'm Steve Hothersall. On today's show, uh, we're looking at what it takes to be a fullback in this rampaging Reds outfit. And we'll have a look at the young Greek star who's likely to be the next addition to Klopp's squad. And who better to do this with than our own Trent and Robbo combination? Uh, Simon Hughes, hi, Simon. Hello, Stephen. Uh, and a man who definitely understands the pressures of the position in a bit more depth than Simon. It's former Reds defender Stephen Warnock. Hello, Stephen. I think you're doing Simon a disjustice there, disservice there. I think that's very uh, poor. You do a great job on that right fullback role. Uh, is, that who you'd is that how you'd like to be, Simon? The um, the trend of the combination? I, I will take that every single day. Anything. I will. Uh, <laughs> right, let's kick it off with a little look at um, the young Greek defender who could well become Liverpool's uh, first summer signing. Um, by the time you're listening to this, it might well have been done. Uh, but Liverpool very close to bringing in Olympiacos left-back Kostas Simikas. Um, some of the figures are saying 11.75 million, others saying maybe up to 14 million. So what do we know about him? And at this very stage, what, where's this deal up to, Simon? It's it's close. I mean, uh, reports in Greece uh, this morning, obviously we're talking on Monday morning, um, they're saying that he's on Merseyside already. Uh, and that the deal is is ninety five percent done. Uh, just the, the last bits of personal agreements to get over the line. So, yeah, I mean Liverpool moved on pretty quickly, really, because um, obviously they're very keen on Jamal Lewis and really like him as a player. But you know they weren't able to to reach an agreement with Norwich. I mean that Liverpool were key. They didn't want to spend huge amounts of money on what is essentially somebody who's going to come in to challenge and not be an automatic starter. And you know Norwich wanted. In advance of 20 million, I mean, I, I spoke to somebody at Norwich last week who said even just to, to pick up the phone, you know, don't even bother calling if, if it's if it's less than 20. So, you know, bearing in mind Liverpool's financial position, I think they, they just decided that, that he is the ultimately the, the cheaper option, but that doesn't necessarily mean they value him in a negative way. I just think that, that they were keen to get a British player, an English player who, who could maybe sort of settle a bit quicker. I mean, he's had, he's had quite an interesting couple of seasons, really. You know, uh, loan spells in, in Denmark and Holland that did okay, but didn't really, like, sort of shine, so I believe. And obviously this season, the, the Olympiacos have had a, a good season in Europe where they, they've got some good results, and he's been central to that on the, on the left-hand side of, of, the, of the pitch. A bit, a bit like Robertson, really. I mean, I know it maybe sounds like a casual thing to say, but... He, um, you know, when I, when I saw them play against Arsenal, they, they did quite a similar thing to what Liverpool do, where 
Olympiacos overload on the right hand side uh, near near the Trent area of the pitch where I'd be operating, obviously, and um, <laughs> and then and then and then switch the ball over to the other side and use use his explosive pace and crossing ability to to sort of surprise teams. So it seemed to work for them quite a lot, and I, I suspect that Liverpool have have looked at that closely and decided that. Um, you know, it's it's a bit of a sort of a you know a like for like. You know, with, with Robertson, they, they, they don't want to sort of change that that method of of, of play the, the the way Liverpool play. So that they'll um, when he comes into the team, you know, hopefully that it shouldn't be too much of an adjustment for for him or the team. You know, that he'll understand what Liverpool are looking for. Um, so yeah, I think I think last season that Andy Robertson. Had a good season, but the way sometimes when you know he's, he had to play a lot, a lot of minutes and a lot of games, and you could tell, you know, that some games he just wasn't quite at the level you're accustomed to because of the, the the physical demands on the position that he plays. So it was definitely a position that I think Liverpool needed to look at. You know, James Milner playing out there now. I'm not sure, you know, whether whether he can do that on a, hmm. a semi-regular basis. He, he sort of he obviously can still play centre midfield, but I just think what the, the, the sort of the drop down when. He's uh, Robertson's not there. Is, is quite visible because Liverpool don't have that natural width. You know, you want a left footer out there, somebody who can put the ball in. You know, in a, in a natural way. And I think uh, hopefully he'll be. You know, he'll, he'll prove to be a, another astute signing because Liverpool have made a lot of these sorts of signings over the last few years where they've signed players relatively unheard of and and, um, and have come in and, and done well. So I suppose you've just got to trust the management and his uh, recruitment team on this one. Yeah, he is relatively uh, unheard of. So Kostas Simakash, you've watched him a little bit, Stephen, because um, he's been involved in some uh, fairly high-profile European action. He was part of the Olympiacos side that pulled off an, an aggregate win over Arsenal in the last 32 of the Europa League. Also played at Molyneux on Thursday as, as they were knocked out of the Europa League. What, what's your thoughts on, on Simakas, first of all, and what he might offer to Liverpool? I think, like Simon says, he, he, you can never put someone in the same bracket as Andrew Robertson, but he's that mould of player. He, he, to me, looks like an ex-winger who's who's been put as a, a fullback. He's very happy playing as a wide man. He's quite happy to go one v one and attack players, which you don't often see from a fullback. Uh, the crossing ability is very strong. He, he crosses the ball well. But 1v1 defensively, he's solid. He knows his strengths. He, he came up against Adama Traore the other, the other night and he looked comfortable playing against him. It never it never troubled him, um, stood up to the challenge. So I think for the, the value of money that you, you're getting him in for, I think it's a, it's a really good deal. And I think he'll add something to Liverpool when he plays because he's also got this ability to run with the ball very comfortably and glide, uh, glide past players again like he is an ex-winger playing in that position. So it's it seems very, very good value for money. What I like about the deal as well is that you have to think Olympiacos are a huge team. There's big pressure to play for Olympiacos. So that's something that when you're coming into Liverpool Football Club is can you deal with playing for a big team with the pressure on your shoulders week in, week out? I think straight away to play in an Olympiacos team, having played in their stadium, which is... Uh, a very it's a cauldron it's a tough place to play and I'm sure when they're not playing well or you're not having a, a great time as well there's, there's a pressure to step up and play well and he's um, he's done that over the last couple of seasons so good addition for Liverpool so it's, it's that ability to, to shoulder the pressure that's on you that you'll have definitely if you come to Liverpool what about Stephen moulding a player to fit into the position at Liverpool how, how quickly can that be done you've, you've described some of his attributes there is it an easy process or not? Well, we've seen we've seen with past players that have come into the team, it's taken them a while to to get into the team to show 
that they understand what Jurgen Klopp's wanting to do. Looking at Simicus already, Olympiakos play a similar formation in the fact that they don't play with wingers. The wingers dip inside, so they're accustomed to playing that wide position, which Robertson does so well. So he'll he'll naturally fit into that style of play. He presses very well. He knows when to go. But obviously, Jurgen Klopp will know better than I know. Uh, he he knows what he wants from his fullbacks. He knows what he wants from his players, and he'll he'll have to learn very quickly. The, the one thing he will get is time because obviously he's going to have to well he's going to have to buy this time to get game time because of the form of Robertson and, and being arguably one of the best left backs in world football at the moment so it will take time for him to get a look in but you just never know with injuries and, and what might happen uh, form dips and he, he might get his opportunity but Jurgen Klopp will make sure that he's ready to play in that system we see it now with with the likes of Minamino who's still taking time to get into the team and to find his feet with, with the way that Liverpool play and press Si, do you think it's just natural now if, if Liverpool come calling for you that you accept it at whatever cost or are there some players who actually are looking at the amount of game time as Stephen mentioned there and thinking, well, yeah, how on earth do I get past the best, not only in the Premier League, but maybe maybe in world football in that position? It's a difficult one for, for some players. I suppose it depends what position it is as well. I mean, clearly Timo Werner wanted to come. He, he wasn't uh, afraid of the challenge of trying to displace three of the best strikers in the world. You know, I think that's the thing with this Liverpool team is that, or the squad, is that it's not a particularly deep squad. You know, that's not to say it's not a strong squad, but in terms of the, the, in terms of numbers, there, there are still numbers to make up. So some of these players are coming from other teams, which actually have bigger squads. So, you know, I think it, it depends what you know the position is as well. I mean, I know Jamal Lewis was was very keen to come and sign for Liverpool, even though you know the challenge of displacing somebody like Andy Robertson. Uh, as a young player, I think I think that's a pretty daunting task, isn't it? Because he's an established player; he's not exactly old. I think Andy Robertson's only 26, 27. So, you know, you, you would imagine that the, the game time that he's got, he would have had would, would have been limited. But you know, as Stephen says, you know, there are injuries. I mean, Liverpool have been quite fortunate. Well, I don't want to say fortunate because I think it, it it sort of takes away from the amount of stuff that goes on at Melwood. You know, in terms of injury pre- prevention and stuff like that. That's why Klopp's been able to operate with a, a smaller squad at times, where you know they're, they're able to detect injuries, you know, before they happen, and and that means you know that, that maybe players might train in a different way or, or not play so many minutes in certain games. But I, I do think that this position is one position where you know there, there are potentially minutes on the pitch because you know I think it's been very hard on Andy Robertson over the last sort of twelve months because he's the one player that maybe you, you can't afford to drop in some ways because there isn't that natural replacement. Liverpool, I mean, last summer were were looking to sign a left back then, so it, it shows that this has been a position that they've been thinking about for a, a while. They had quite a lot of discussions with Lloyd Kelly, who ends up going to Bournemouth, who's a young player, um, and, and that deal sort of fell through in the end, I think, because of the demands of the agent. So it's clearly a, a position that they're looking looking to improve in terms of the strength and depth. And I think you know Robertson will benefit from that. Having you know all players. Yeah. Top quality players benefit, don't they, from from having a bit of a challenge and a, a fresh challenge and um, yeah. So mm. I, I think each position needs to be judged on its merits. I mean, I, I do suspect that you know now that Lovren's gone, that they'll probably need to try and sign a centre half as well because you don't want to go into a season, you know, with one less player in that position compared to last season, bearing in mind the injury records that they've had. So. For some player, you know, it's a great opportunity because they know that, you know, it's Van Dyke plus another, isn't it, throughout the course of the season. And Jürgen Klopp's made it clear that if a player comes in and does well 
and gets in the team and establishes himself, then he'll back him like he did with Matip. So I think that's another position that should be attractive for for any player, really, knowing that that, that second centre-half, I know people talk about Gomez, but until he has a, a really a full season without injury, I think there'll still be some question marks about him. That's not to say... You know uh, that he, he's he might he might overcome that over the next course of the next couple of years. He's still a young player, but I still think that you know that will be another position that the players will look at and think, oh, I could go and get into that Liverpool team. You know, um, James wrote an article that I think that went up today about uh, the lads at Leeds, White, who you know you know could be a sensible target for that position. You know, younger player who done brilliantly in the Championship this season and looks like he could be available. I mean, I wonder whether. He'll have a dig at him next. We'll see. Stephen, give us an idea of the, the mindset of a player when you have got that position nailed down yourself, but then the club is signing someone else. Do you actually like that that competition and that, and that added incentive to make sure that you are still the first pick? I think it, it adds to your, your hunger and your drive to get better. I think that's what you see with this Liverpool squad is that they appreciate the signings that are coming in because not only are they strengthening the case to win trophies but they're strengthening the case to get better as players I think when you add quality players into a squad there's no there's no two ways about it when a, when a good player walks through that door it bolsters everyone it gives everyone a lift but it also keeps players on their toes and thinks right okay I need to step up I need to do more I think the obvious case for that when we when we look at it was when Naby Keita come into Liverpool and mm. everyone was like well this is the guy who's going to sort of change everything everyone thought Wijnaldum wouldn't even get a kick that year he was the best player. I thought he was the best player last, not this season, just gone, but the season before. I thought he was brilliant because he really stepped up to to keep his position within the team. Then you look at the other midfielders. Then they all did the same. They all upped the game because that pressure of losing my share suddenly becomes more realistic. And I think the the interesting one, the only way I can relate to this in a way was when I signed for Blackburn. I remember signing, and I remember thinking, I'm going in there as as first choice left back. The day after I signed, they signed a Swiss international left back, and I thought, "Hang about, what's going on here?" <laughs> and, and suddenly, but but it was almost what I needed because I wasn't then. It wasn't a foregone conclusion that I was going to start every game. It was like, right, I'm under pressure now because if I don't perform, then he's going to take my place. So there was, it was something that I probably did need. And I only look back on it now and realise that. But um, that was hugely important to have that pressure because if you don't, you do come complacent. I think, I'm not saying Robbo's come complacent, but I think he knows he's going to start every week. And I think there's there's times where probably fatigue has, has not helped him this season, but there has been a little bit of a dip in form at times because he knows that he is the first choice left back. I think now with someone coming in to really press him, I think you'll see an even better Andrew Robertson because he knows if his if his standards drop. The other thing that will happen as well is if Simicus plays and he plays well, he'll, he'll fear that his place is under threat. Again, the levels lift next time he plays. He knows he's got that competition. So it, it's healthy competition, though, and I think that the players understand that. Yeah, because I suppose the manager can't give you any assurances. You, you've never signed for a club, Stephen, have you, where the manager said, yeah, you definitely are the first choice and you've been playing X number of games. You, you, you have to earn your right to be on the pitch. Well, you, you get you get the assurances that you're going to sign because that's what, that's what all managers do. Yeah, you're my number one. You're definitely going to play. Um, but you've got to back it up. You have to back it up because you can't amble through games and expect just because the manager's told you that you're his first choice or that you're going to play you've got to you've got to make sure that you perform week in week out and I think that's a given in, in any team that you, you have to perform at the highest level or anyone's droppable 
I think we, we see that all the time is that um, a manager has to be successful. He has to be ruthless as well. And he has to make big, big, big and bold decisions. I think this, the signing of Simicus though is something that was, was needed. Uh, I think we all agree on that. And in, in the fact of, you think Liverpool entered seven competitions this season. And when, when I went to the Atletico Madrid game, both home and away, I thought it had got to the point where Liverpool almost looked tired um, because it was almost catching up with them. Now, if you had that freshness in depth, especially for Andrew Robertson on that side, I think we might have seen uh, a different a different result. I think Liverpool could pro- possibly still be within the competition, but I think that goes for a, for a number of positions, even higher up in the pitch. So it's something Liverpool are trying to do. They're trying to add that depth to the squad, but it comes at a premium, it comes at a cost. And when you're the champions of of the world and you're champions of Europe and you're the champions of England, suddenly those prices get inflated. In terms of what Liverpool have done with their fullback side, just give us an idea of how they've sort of reset the landscape in terms of how Premier League teams play and perhaps how Jurgen Klopp wants to proceed from here in terms of, you know, how he influences games with his fullbacks. Well, I mean, I wrote an article earlier last season about, about this, about how you know, really, the fullbacks are the most creative players on the pitch. I mean, certainly Trent is. I mean, his passing ability is probably the best in the team. You would say him and Van Dijk are the two best passers in the team. Um, and so, you know, it's very difficult. I think what, what Jürgen realised is, you know, in, in the past, the midfielders have always been, obviously, the, the creative hubs, whereas now the fullbacks, if you, if, you, if you make the fullback that sort of quarterback position, it's it's almost impossible to stop him anyways because, um, you know how I think I've said this before on the podcast, but how as an opposition manager do you stop a fullback of the ability of those two players, Robertson and Trent Alexander-Arnold? Do you commit one player to try and do a defensive job on them, or do you do a you know a tactical thing which involves a couple of players, which then leaves you short in other areas of the pitch? You know if the, if the threat is coming from that deep on the pitch. It, it 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 can really really make it difficult for an opposition manager to plan it and and stop it. I think so. This is where you know I don't think Klopp gets enough credit really. You know in terms of his tactical understanding of changing the game. I mean, I, when I wrote that article, I remember a few people saying, "Well, oh, well, obviously Real Madrid have done this for years." You know, with Carvajal and and uh, Marcelo, but you know the, the makeup of that team is very different further up the pitch. I, I think it's a very deliberate ploy. This that. You know, they, they, they place so much emphasis on the fullbacks, particularly Trent having lots of the ball. Getting, you know, the if you watch, if you look at the stats. I mean, I'm not much of a stats person, but if you look at the way, the amount of the time the ball is on the right hand side of the pitch is is a lot more than the left. It seems to be that there's a, a slower build up on the right, and then they spring the ball out to the left and allow those sort of more dynamic players. You'd say that that, that sort of. Trent is obviously a good runner, but Robertson is more about getting up and down, getting up and down. Trent can provide more passes, I think, if, if you actually look at the number of passes that Trent makes compared to crosses to Robertson. It's a slightly different... They both do slightly different things, but it's all very deliberate, you know, from Klopp to, to make it that way. And I, I think, you know, as I said, I think it's very difficult for other teams to try and stop that happening when you've got particularly the level of quality further up the pitch, you know, with, with Mane on one side and... And, and Salah, if you, how do you stop all that happening mm. at once? You know, so um, this is why you know really emphasises why it's important to have a, another option 
um, you know, certainly in the in the left back area because the, the I think I think Millie you could sometimes play at right back. You can obviously play Gomez. You know, has, has had good games at right back at times as well. You know, people forget that. I just think you know you know when you think about the Everton game when when he came back after lockdown and and Milner had to play and then um, went off. You could just feel that Liverpool didn't have that sort of attacking threat. You know, wide and. Uh, it was quite an alarming drop-off in many ways. So I think it's a really sensible move. If, if you look at the figures, I mean, I, I know one thing that Liverpool were looking at was, again, the price. Um, Everton, I think, spent something like £17 million on Luca, Luca Digny, Luca Dean, sorry, who obviously become their first-choice left-back. Um, there tends still to be better value abroad for, for players, I think, particularly, obviously, the Greek league. So it, it ticks a lot of boxes, I think. It, it helps... Liverpool keep the sort of the tactical discipline that they have without having to change too much because if you don't have a left footed player at left back, the whole shape of the team switches infield as well because the right footed left back is more likely to knock the ball infield, you know. So it, it changes the whole way Liverpool attack the game, really. So I think just having that natural balance as well is, 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 is very important. Well, the stats are particularly telling, aren't they? Um, for assists last season, De Bruyne 20, Trent Alexander-Arnold second in that list, 13, Robertson third with 12, uh, Mo Salah was fourth with 10. So uh, Liverpool definitely with the fullbacks playing their part. And of course, most opposition teams don't have defenders who cause that attacking threat. How, how does it shift the balance, Stephen, when you've got the two in Trent and, and Andy Robertson who are effectively playmakers yeah um, I was just listening to, to Simon talk there and um, the, the fullbacks are hugely important but Liverpool's fullbacks only work because of Mane and Salah I mean when you play when you play Origi left like left in front of Robertson Robertson's performances dip and when you play Oxley chamberlain or Minamino on that right hand side in front of Trent that his performances also dip because what they do is naturally they go in between fullback and centre half and they drag the back four of the opposition very very narrow which allows the fullbacks to come forward they also isolate two players because of the quality that both Mane and Salah both possess is that as a fullback I'd be petrified thinking I don't want to 1v1 with Salah I don't want to 1v1 <laughs> with Mane I don't want to be isolated because of the ability that they've got so what I'd naturally do is I'd drag my winger on top of on top of Salah and say stop the feed into Salah stop the ball coming into him or stop it coming into Mane because you want to protect yourself as much as possible that allows then Robertson and Trent Alexander-Arnold just to creep up the field and it allows space because by the time you say to your your winger one release and go and try and close the fullback down. Robertson's on the run. He's got that ability, that running power just to, to play a one-two round. Trent's also got that ability, if you give him space and time, to pick out that killer pass. So you, you cannot underestimate the relationship that you have with a winger. Mine was exactly the same when I went to Blackburn. I had Morton Gams Pedestin in front of me. But the relationship that we struck up was almost like he played as a left-back when I went forward and I played as a left-winger and we just interchanged. Then I went to, to Aston Villa, had the same relationship with Ashley Young where I just knew I had to give him the ball and I had to overlap. Every time I overlapped, it, it allowed him to get half a yard. I, often I didn't get the ball, but I knew it was unselfish running. And they're relationships that you, you just have to build. And I think the relationship that... The, uh, the two fullbacks that Liverpool have with the wingers is so important to the way that Liverpool play. Um, and that can't be underestimated either. There's definitely 
there's definitely a dip when you lose one of the forward players in front of them. This is the Red Agenda uh, on The Athletic. Uh, get on the site now. Some of the best writing in football uh, is on there, covering a whole host of teams, of course. And if you have a look right now, 40% uh, off on the most in-depth content on top football clubs. This is the Red Agenda. Uh, let's move on to another transfer target in Thiago. We, we talked about him a couple of times. Um, Simon, devastatingly good against uh, Chelsea in uh, Bayern's Champions League win over them, breaking up play, showing passing range, commanding in, in midfield. On, on that display, he sort of walks into any side in the world, doesn't he? Definitely. I mean, I, if Liverpool can get him, I think it'd be an incredible signing. I mean, I, I understand sort of this speculation and, and the, the conversation will carry on, I guess, until Bayern Munich's Champions League campaign is over. Um I mean, the, 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 the belief that he might sort of come before that was mm. a little bit misguided. Well, chasing a treble, of course, Si. Well, of course, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's the, he's the creative hub in one of the best teams in the world. I mean, I was speaking to somebody else today about this, about how you think when Liverpool played Bayern um, last season and, and they, they were in a pretty desperate state, really. I mean, Liverpool went to Munich and, and made quite light work of them. They didn't have to play particularly well to, to win that game. Um and win that tie, and you know, just totally dominant. But it just shows you the power of Bayern, doesn't it? Sort of make make some, you know, promote some younger players and get get summer signings right. And he just looked formidable again the other night. And he was central to everything that, that happens in that team. So I mean, a lot of people say I've said, Andy, well, he doesn't really fit the profile of an FSG signing, but. I mean, he's 29. Liverpool have made signs like James Milner. You know, he's still playing for Liverpool five years later. I know he's a free transfer, but he's been a you know invaluable signing for Liverpool at that age. You know, same age when he signed for Liverpool and could play for another couple of seasons easily. I think you know, FSG did go and sign Craig Bellamy. You know, and he got a great year out of him. Really, you know, had a defining impact on that season. Remember the the semi-final against Man City in the League Cup. Great performance that night and got Liverpool to the final, which they won the cup. So. To say that they don't do that sort of signing, I think probably isn't, isn't quite right. OK, I understand the figures that, that we're talking about here. Um, excessive, you know, obviously much bigger than what they paid for Milner and, and, and Bellamy, who they got for nothing. But if so Liverpool the, were to the get, figure is what, Si? 27 million? Uh, Liverpool, so I believe, you know, obviously reluctant to pay the, the sort of premium that, that most clubs would uh, demand in, in normal circumstances because obviously his contract is, is winding down as well. But I just think, you know, with this, if Liverpool can afford to sign a left-back for £10, £15 million, pounds, it must, there must be a bit, a bit of money left somewhere if you really want to sign this world-class player, you know, who's, who's, who's a proven proven winner. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think if, if Liverpool can sign him for that for sort of the figure that they're looking at between £25, £30 million pounds and get four or five years out of him, it's a great signing, isn't it? You know, you know, if, if he gives something different that they don't have, and which you know he does, you know, it's something that they don't have in in that midfield at the moment. So, you know, for me, if they can if they can make it happen and they don't, it'd be be a shame really because he he's the sort of player that, that just get, gets people off the seats as well. You know, just in terms of what he does, and you can just see him fitting into that Liverpool team straight away. I know some of the Bayern players have been quoted as saying if he signs for Liverpool, he'll he'll just go and win everything. So I think it shows you. You know, some of the top world-class players at Bayern think of him, you know, 
they think pretty highly of him, don't they? He does look like the sort of player that Liverpool haven't got at the moment. And, and you might wonder why at this stage he's saying, I'm, I'm not signing again with Bayern Munich. But maybe that's a demonstration, Stephen, of his personal ambition, you know, snubbing the contract there, wanting to play in the Premier League. Yeah, I, I think it's great. I mean, I, I look at players like that who want to go to every league and conquer it. Why not? Why, why, why wouldn't you want to look back over your career and say, I've won leagues in Barcelona with Bayern Munich and then go to Liverpool and win them there? There's no doubt in his quality. I'm just interested as well, Si. I was, I was thinking about this. Like You were talking earlier on about the centre-back position. I'm thinking, if you were to buy Thiago, you could almost move Fabinho back into the central defensive role as well, when, as and when you need to. So that, that £30 million is not only buying you a centre midfielder, it's buying you the option of moving someone into central defence as well, who's more than capable, as we've seen over the, over the last... Well, we've seen performances from him in that position. Does that almost cover two positions then with that buy rather than dipping into the transfer market and buying that centre midfielder then having to go back in and buy another a centre back as well I, I think he'd be a, a brilliant signing for Liverpool yeah, It's a really interesting point that about Fabinho because I mean it, it seems clear to me that the, the Klopp rates him as the sort of number one midfielder really you know if he's fit he tends to play all the times and he never gets left out um, in that, in that sort of, uh, well, it's not, it's not even a deeper line role because of what Klopp wants. He, he wants the, all the midfielders to push a bit higher. But you know, as, as you say, I mean, he, he was. I thought he was outstanding. Funnily enough, against Bayern when he played centre half at Anfield. You know, let's not forget that was a really important defensive yeah. performance. That you know, Liverpool kept. I, I remember thinking that without uh, Van Dijk, because Van Dijk didn't play that game, did he? Am I right? Obviously, had to play Fabinho centre half, and I thought. Ahead of that game, if they can keep a clean sheet in that game, it doesn't matter. You know, as long as you keep a clean sheet, you know they've got a great chance of going to Munich and winning. And, and obviously that worked out. But yeah, it'd be interesting to see with Klopp, how Klopp thinks about that because I, I just sort of get the impression, you know, when you listen to people, he, he really thinks that he's the main one in the middle. What do you, obviously Henderson can play that role so well, but um, as you say, on the odd occasion, you know, I think I think now with Liverpool. The other thing to consider is, and I, I floated this idea with, with James last week, who shot me down straight away, but, you know, Andy Robertson's played centre-half for Scotland and in a back three sometimes. I think the thing with Liverpool is, you know, how do you stop Liverpool? It goes back to the conversation we had before. I think if you look at the sort of the, the Watford games and games where they struggle, teams have tried to hit them on the counter-attack. As long as you've got Van Dijk there with somebody with pace alongside him, there might be some games, I don't know, it might be in Klopp's thinking. He might think, well, I could actually shift him in field in some games because he has had the experience of doing that. It might seem a little bit mad, but, you know, Klopp's made some mad decisions, you know, with some of the, the, the play and the way he's changed players' positions. I'm not saying that's not, I'm not saying that with any authority or inside knowledge. I'm just trying to second guess what he might think. You know, as, as Stephen said, that there are options, I think, potentially to, to fill that gap at centre-half. Because it is a position, you know, we, we've spoken about it before, but, you know, the, the, there aren't the players coming up through the academy at the moment. Nat Phillips, I think, probably needs, you know, another a, a season of playing full football, cutting touch football, week in, week out, um, before he might even be considered. So, it'd be interesting what he does. Fascinating, but it's a great point. I mean, I, if, if, I think... It, People would settle for that, wouldn't they? If, if they got Thiago through the door, and that was the uh, yeah, that was the plan. Because my 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 thinking behind it was is that obviously Liverpool now you're seeing them coming up against teams who sit so deep and find it difficult, and if you're playing him centre back, he can almost stride out of defence with the ball 
and you know you've got a centre midfielder striding into them positions. So then you've got quality ball players all over the park who want the ball. Listen, Joe Gomez is brilliant at it as well, yeah. but I just mean if he was to get injured, you want that option to, to be able to play someone in that position who's more than comfortable stepping out with the ball. Um, and then you know that if you have got Thiago, Henderson, Milner, Wijnaldum, whoever it might be, Keita, pressing high, then you've also got that defensive-minded player who understands stepping into that position who can make it work as well. So um, I just think it'll be interesting to see which way they go with that. We don't know the intricacies of the finances, but obviously Dejan Lovren's gone for 11 million. Adam Lallana's wage isn't on the books anymore. Maybe that balances against the idea of uh, of bringing in Kostas Simikas. I don't know. Frustrating at all, Stephen, that in a, in a summer just after you've won the, the, the Premier League, Liverpool are looking at being creative in the market as opposed to maybe properly bolstering the squad with some bigger buys? Uh, frustrating to a certain degree, but understandable because of the pandemic. Mm. I, I think we, we, we've, we've got to understand that uh, FSG aren't a Roman Abramovich. They're not Sheikh Mansour who can just go out and suddenly just open the checkbook and be uh, open reign and say, do you know what, let's go for it. Because that's the position where Chelsea and Manchester City now can almost catch up two, three transfer windows um, because of the way other clubs cannot do that. They haven't got that finance financial power behind them. I think um, what Liverpool, well, what, what FSG know is, is that Michael Edwards and Jurgen Klopp have got a, a great system in place to find good players that fit systems. You have to think as well that they went and bought, bought Minamino for seven and a half million I know we haven't seen him light the world up yet, but he's more than capable of, of pr- producing good performances. So that'll be a player that Jurgen Klopp will... And we said this last year when we, we spoke about players coming back with a poor transfer window last year, that there was other players like Oxlade-Chamberlain coming back from injury. Adam Lallana was coming back from injury. Two players who played a key role in, in winning the league for Liverpool with big performances at certain times. So I think Minamino's certainly one of them players he feels will step up to the plate next year. But I'm not surprised by uh, the lack of major business from Liverpool. I think it was I think it was spelt out as soon as the the Timo Werner deal didn't happen. Um, but I understood why that didn't happen as well because the wages that he was demanding or apparently demanding for someone to come in and, and sit on the bench or to be a bit part player and can sort of to astro, astronomical wages. What happens then to the rest of the changing room? They go knocking on the door and it causes unrest. Hmm. So uh, I think what Liverpool are doing is the right thing to do. Is, it, is that really the way it works, Stephen? You, you, you quickly hear about another player's wages and it creates um, a bit of an unsettled feeling across the squad. Well, I, I don't think, personally, I don't think it should, but I think there's agents that will. Uh, yeah. I think there'll be agents that will be saying, well, they, they'll, they'll see it as a, as, as a checkbook for themselves to be saying, well, if, if that player's on that, I think I can go in and get you this. And really, they're only lying in their own pockets. It depends on the agents as well. Um, but I, I've always been of the mindset, I, I've often heard players in changing rooms saying, how's he getting that wage? How's he commanding that wage? How's he getting paid that? Have you heard how much he's on? And I always come back to the same old thing where you were happy to sign the contract that you signed. So it was obviously good enough at the time for you. So why are you suddenly moaning about it? So that's the way I've always looked about it. I've never thought, well, he's on that. I should be on that. I was happy to sign a contract. So I'm happy with what I've got. 
piece on the site now called uh, Sensible Transfers, uh, Simon. So if, if any deals are done, they will be sensible ones. And actually, th- this window is fairly short, isn't it? I mean, what, they're back in a, in a week? Is that right, in terms of training? Uh, yeah, um, I'm just trying to remember the exact day. They'll be back. Liverpool are back on Saturday. Oh, Saturday, yeah. They're back yeah. on Saturday, aren't they, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've seen some of the... the pit, uh, most of the players seem to be in Greece and Italy at the moment, don't they? So... Um, yeah, I mean, they've obviously had a fair amount of time. I mean, it'd be, it'd be interesting to see, like, really how how draining emotionally that period was, you know, when the players weren't together and when, you know, the training at home and how how sort of relaxed that was, you know, in terms of people just assuming, oh, well, he, he obviously physically didn't have to play games. But, you know, I can imagine it must have been pretty... If you, if you, if you got so close to winning the title... And uh, it looks like you might have it snatched away from you. That occupying your thoughts when you see how the players reacted and, and celebrated, you know, the emotion that was there. You know, I, th- I think a lot of that, you know, was an outpouring of relief as well. So, you know, um, I'd, yeah, I'd be interested to really know from the players, like, just exactly how they felt about that period and whether they, <laughs> they do feel re-energised by, you know, the big lockdown break, as it was called. Well, I think there was almost uh, when you, when you talk about that, Sam, and I think there was almost a show in that in the performances. There's that 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 build up of 30 years, that pressure, and everything they'd gone through from winning the Champions League last year, that pressure of winning this league, that release when they won the league was almost like like it was it was so great that they were drained from the release of it as well. And I think it showed in performances after it were. I think you will get re-energised because you've got to to go again. But they've had a, a long enough period now to to reflect on that and enjoy it. But there was definitely signs of it within the performances is that they they were physically drained. The concentration levels and and the the professionalism throughout that time to get to that point to restart the season I think was huge. Um, yeah. And I think there's I think the work that obviously Lee Richardson's done at the club, the psychological side of things, has been huge. Um, there's been a lot of uh, emphasis put on that over that period because it, it was key. I think everyone, even from ourselves, who've been sat in the house for sort of three months and not really gone out, it was it was big pressure on ourselves and, and sort of very very draining. So to keep spirits high, to keep them going and keep them maintained, I think was was credit to the club. Now, thanks to our good pals at Beer52.com, you have the opportunity to sip eight delicious, painstakingly sourced craft beers from around the world. All you need to do is go to www.beer52.com forward slash agenda and pay the postage of £4.95. And if that wasn't enough, as a listener to our show, you get an extra two free beers. That's ten free beers. Beer 52, they're beer pioneers. They travel the globe, they find the best and most interesting beer from the very best craft breweries. They're now the world's most popular craft beer discovery club. The beauty of Beer 52 is you can leave at any time. The power's in your own hands and they deliver right to your door. You don't need to leave the house. Your case will include the award-winning craft beer magazine Ferment, and a beery snack is thrown in as well. Just go to www.beer52.com slash agenda and get your free case. And don't forget, right now, listeners get two extra free beers. 
This is the Red Agenda on The Athletic. I'm Steve Hothersall in the company, Simon Hughes and Stephen Warnock today. And uh, just caught my, my attention, the Premier League are still voting or inviting votes for uh, manager of the season for last year. And on the shortlist, Jurgen Klopp, Brennan Rodgers, Chris Wilder and, and, and Frank Lampard. Now, obviously, being very biased and in the red camp, you'd, you'd say it's Jurgen Klopp, isn't it? But is, is, is there any argument to say one of those others pushes Jurgen close? Either of you want to go ahead on this one? Well, well, I remember, I remember last season, just before the Champions League final. I remember we were speaking to Jurgen at Melwood. You know, they had a big press day that day, and it did get brought up. You know, manager of the year. And um, I mean, obviously, Sheffield United's achievements getting into the Premier League had obviously received national recognition, but it obviously wasn't at the forefront of it. I suppose that the minds of the reporters were there that day, and. Um, he was asked about, you know, his, his own like sort of uh, chances of winning it, and I remember straight away, you know, in terms of the, he, he said, you know, the best the best manager in the country this season's been Chris Wilder. You know, Jurgen just said it straight up. I mean, I know they obviously they've got some sort of relationship, the, the two clubs, because they sent uh, Ben Woodburn out there last season, and that loan move didn't work out. But quite clear, you know, that Jurgen has been watching what's been going on at Sheffield United and. And from afar has admired it because it's a pretty similar job to what he did at Mainz all those years ago, you know, sort of getting a club. I mean, you would argue that I suppose Sheffield United are possibly a bigger club than, than even Mainz. But so it's clear, you know, I, I can imagine Jürgen Klopp, if you were to ask him, his answer probably would be Chris Wilder because, that you know, quite clear that there's a respect between um, between him and, and, and Wilder. You know, remember after when Sheffield United played Liverpool at Anfield, and you know Liverpool were brilliant that night, weren't they? It was just such a you know a, a convincing performance. It was a champions performance that. And um, remember one of the sort of the, the the interviews that Liverpool fans will remember, you know, for for quite a while was was the the, the sort of the the accolades that, that Chris Chris Wilder gave that Liverpool team after the night. He was just totally in awe of what was happening. But you know, obviously, I, I would be being being biased. I would say Jurgen Klopp should be manager of the year just because. The scale, of the achievements, you know, to to go and to go and win the league after thirty years. I mean, it's just incredible. Well, accolades matter for players, don't they, Stephen? So it would be the same for a manager as well. I don't think Jurgen's that type of person. I think he knows what he's done and what he's achieved. But I think when you look back in in twenty thirty years to win manager of the season in the Premier League, I think then then he would um, he would want the award and. But I, I have to agree with Simon. I think the job that Chris Wilder's done is just phenomenal. I mean, you're taking them from League One, uh, struggling in League One to get promotions and take them into the Premier League and look comfortable within the Premier League and look like the... I mean, they caused teams so many problems. And he's done it with, with a championship squad, really. He hasn't really bought that many players. He, he bought... Um, the centre midfielder in uh, in January for twenty odd million burgers. It oh yeah, um, and you think that's that's their first major signing, but that was done off the back of staying in the Premier League. They almost knew that they were going to stay within the Premier League, um, but the job he's done is quite astonishing. Um, but you have to give it to Jurgen Klopp because because of the achievements, the records that they broke this season, constantly breaking records, and um, yeah, he fully deserves that 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 title. But if you if you're talking, if you were going to give it to anyone else, hundred percent, it's Chris Wilder. 
now we're offering listeners of this show the opportunity to try out The Athletic for free. So you can enjoy all of the articles written by James Pearce and Simon Hughes on Liverpool. Uh, you sign up for a 30-day free trial if you head to theathletic.com forward slash Liverpool pod. That's theathletic.com forward slash Liverpool pod. This is the Red Agenda on The Athletic. Let's finish with uh, a thought or two about the, um, the chief executive, Peter Moore. So a bit of change at the top of the club in the coming weeks. Uh, Peter Moore to leave after uh, three years. <laughs> what an incredible three years. Um, what's his legacy going to be? Stephen, we'll start with you, first of all. Well, he's changed so much, hasn't he? Um, I, I think there's been a huge ch- change in, in the way that the club's operated, definitely from when I was at the club. I think what Peter's done is he, he's bought in an understanding of the club. We, 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 of, we often talk about Jurgen Klopp being understanding the club, understanding the fans. Peter knew the club. He's a, he's a fan himself. He, he knew what it needed. Uh, obviously spoke to fans and, and alike and, and understood what they wanted from the club. And I thought, I think he's delivered on that. I think he's done a great job of that. He's, from a personal point of view, he's, uh, he's also reunited the former players and give them more of an input into the, in, or more of a, a sense of a family feel towards Belonging. the club. Yeah, um, yeah, that that hasn't been there for years. Um, there's constant emails that go out to former players, so that that's been really well received from the former players. I think to feel that they 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 belong to the club still. Um, which is a nice a nice thing, but what he's done is has been has been brilliant for the club, and I, I think obviously I don't know as much as as what Simon will know, but um, but from my point of view, looking from the outside in and what he's brought to the club, he he's definitely leaving the club in a far healthier position than when he first found it. It's interesting your your reference there to um, a chief executive being different from your time, and maybe Rick Parry and Rick was maybe one of the first who got that profile but you know before that a Peter Robinson where people didn't maybe understand that much what his role was it's changed significantly Simon hasn't it you've done a piece on on the site about this yeah James and I um I should I should I should uh, stress James's role as well I know he's not here but uh it, it is a role that sort of evolved and swung in terms of responsibilities over the years you know various different titles as well as you say sort of start off with Peter Robinson as a secretary, I mean, he was, his, his title was the secretary, course, but really, yeah. re- really, he, he he ran the club, and then was um, did a fabulous job, you know, over a number of years, really, no, not number of years, number of decades, you know, a respected administrator in the game, you know, of how to run a football club. But obviously, football changed dramatically in the nineties, and and Rick Parry came in from from the Premier League, um, and I know everybody's sort of got an, an opinion on Rick. You know, I think it, you know I've interviewed him a few times, and I think if he was to have his time again, he, he possibly would have found a way to to delegate a bit more. You know, he has a lot on his plate. Again, football. People talk about the change of football in the nineties. It changed again in the, in the noughties. You know, like in terms of the challenges around Liverpool. You know, we weren't just coming up against rich clubs. You were coming up against billionaires and states suddenly, and that adds a lot of pressure to a chief executive who's essentially trying to. Not just run the club on a day-to-day basis, but try and find the stadium move, try and deal with the transfers. So obviously, when FSG came in, they they, they sort of uh, you know they, they've they've sort of diluted the, the the chief executive's role over a number over a number of different appointments. I know Christian Perslow was was the manager and director for a bit, and then Ian Air came in. I think they thought us they, they saw him as like a, a Merseyside native and, and just 
maybe a bit naively thought that everybody would trust him when actually <laughs> I think you know Ian Ayer's reputation on Merseyside was was never the best for, for a variety of different reasons and though it must be said you know he 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 got the stadium he solved a lot of the solutions around the stadium and, and helped drive that new main stand which has been major for Liverpool over the last five years clearly you know that there was a, there was I think there was a bit of a cultural problem at Liverpool when he was there because of his connection to to Tom Hicks and this sort of culture of people looking over the shoulder a little bit and I think that with with the new CEO coming in when when Peter Moore was appointed the club realized that you know they had Michael Edwards in place by that point so they had a specialist dealing with transfers which meant that you know the CEO didn't have that burden of responsibility on that side and they just needed to sort of as Stephen mentioned they sort of reconnect um that that position with what was going on on ground level locally and I mean, Peter Moore has made some mistakes, you know, some 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 high-profile mm-hmm. ones, which which uh, which haven't helped, I think, you know, over, over the last couple of years. But then equally, I do think what I must say is when you speak to people who work for Liverpool now, and this isn't just because it's um, the team's been successful or you know because of Jurgen Klopp, I guess. I mean, he's he's the main man of anyone at the club, really. But but I, I do feel like if you speak to people behind the scenes at Liverpool, it does feel like culturally it's a happier place to work. You know, he's installed yeah. more of a a, a, a sort of, you know, a, a, just a healthier mentality amongst the workforce. You found that not as many people are coming and going at Liverpool for, you know, the first sort of five years of FSG. The amount of turnover of staff was incredible, and I think the club didn't that didn't help the club sort of find any consistency off the pitch. Whereas now that that sort of levelled off a bit, and I think Peter Moore was was sort of central to that. Um, you know, that sort of culture shift. So for me, I think that was, you know, that was his. I know he's done a lot of stuff around community, and but I think that actually at the club, inside the offices of the club, I think that was a really important thing. As Stephen said, it really impressed me the way like some of the former players sort of felt disconnected from the, the club in a, in a big way. I think he's you won't hear former players got a bad way to say about him when, when, I, when I speak to him, which is you know telling. I think because players are always the harshest harshest judges. I think sometimes so. Um, yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting to see what happens now with Billy Hogan because he comes from a very different background where, you know, he's, he was brought in to sort of drive up the revenues at Liverpool um, and he's done a great job, you know, of sort of tripling, you know, Liverpool's uh, revenues in, in his reign so far. So I, I, I wonder whether Billy Hogan will be sort of the public figure that Peter Moore was where, you know, was, was obviously at the forefront of, you know, signing checks and, you know, shaking hands with people. I wonder whether Billy Hogan will do that. I'm, I'm trying to get to the bottom of that at the moment to see whether they're seeing a, a, a shift in, in in sort of his role because clearly, I mean, I'll just finish on this, that clearly in the post-COVID world and, and obviously we're in the midst of a pandemic now, driving revenues at Liverpool is going to be harder than ever. So yeah. he's got a very, very, very important role at the club, you know, over the next uh, couple of years, I'd say. Yeah. Well, well, Billy's actually been at the club for eight years as well and he's yeah. not had that that public profile. Um, terrific gentleman. I, I think he'll do very well in the job. Very much at the front of the uh, the Nike kit deal, uh, which obviously we've seen the new shirts out now. And part of that, that deal was the vast list of sporting greats that Nike already has on their books. It was brilliant to see the, the NBA star LeBron James wearing a shirt last week, Stephen. Yeah, well, he's obviously got a stake in the club of some kind, hasn't he? Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's always good to, to use the, the brand of Nike. I just wonder how strong the deal is because we're talking about money being available and you wonder how much is actually coming up front from that deal because 
Um, you think Liverpool would be able to strengthen in the market if there was uh, a huge sum of money coming in straight away. So you just wonder how, how that deal's being structured, I suppose. Um, but for me, the kit deal is, I, I couldn't care less who the club are sponsored by. I think sometimes it's a much of a muchness. I think that's not a massive issue to players. I think the the finances behind it are, are, are equally as important because you want to be able to spend in the transfer market and make sure that you're yes. still competing at the highest end. And, and that's probably the, the most important thing. Boys, I want to thank you both uh, very much. I wouldn't have taken either of you off the field for a 24-year-old Greek international. Stephen, wonderful <laughs> have you, to have you on the Red Agenda. Thank you, pal. Thank you very much. Uh, Mr Hughes, thank you. Loads of good stuff on the site um, at the moment. So if you want to check out some of the stuff that Sam has been writing, particularly the pieces written on Graham Sooners. We haven't had time to talk about it, but fascinating look at, uh, at Graham Sooners and perhaps where things didn't go right when he took the managerial reins. Thank you, Si. Thank you, Stephen. And the Red Agenda returns in a week. 